welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power packed message already in progress. So honored to stand behind the sacred desk. And Sister Linda, thank you for that tribute to Miss Clarice. Boy, I'll tell you, you just about preached my sermon, whether you know it or not. <laughs> I can so often remember how she would come in here frail in her well into her 90s and make her way and sit down. And I think she came sometimes more for us than she did for herself because she knew how much she meant to us. So what a trailblazer. I, I think I've done a little bit in life, but I haven't done anything compared to Sister Clarice. So let's give her a hand again. I give honor to God this morning for using me in any way. And I say hello and we love you to our dear Pastor Classy. We, we are praying for you, my dear sister, and we, we miss you. <laughs> um, I just want to thank God for all of you who are tuning in and in the sanctuary. And I know that for some of you, you really pressed to get here. And we appreciate that. It's nothing like seeing your faces like Pastor Joseph was saying. Join me as we go before the Lord in prayer. Oh God in heaven, we thank you for this hour and we trust you, oh God, to feed us. Bread of heaven, feed us till we want no more. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. And I pray, God, that this word is the bread that your people need to eat today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 1825, at the approximate age of eight, Jordan Anderson was sold into slavery and would live as a servant of the Anderson family for 39 years. In 1864, the Union Army encamped out on the Anderson plantation, and he and his wife Amanda were liberated. The couple eventually made it safely to Dayton, Ohio, when in July 1865, Jordan received a letter from his former owner, Colonel P.H. Anderson. The letter kindly asked Jordan to return to work on the plantation because it had fallen into disarray during the war. Jordan dictated a response and it was later published in several newspapers. The letter was not only hilarious, but it showed compassion, defiance, and dignity. I'm gonna read you excerpts from that letter and I want you to note the times that Jordan appeals to justice in this letter. Here's what Jordan wrote back to his former owner. To my dear old master, Colonel Anderson in Big Springs, Tennessee. Sir, I got your letter and I was glad to find that you had not forgotten Jordan and that you wanted me to come back and live with you again, promising to do better for me than anybody else could. I have felt uneasy about you at times. I thought the Yankees would have hung you long before this for harboring rebels they found at your house. I suppose they never heard about your going to Colonel Martin's to kill the Union soldier that was left by his company in their stable. Although you shot at me twice before I left, I did not want to hear of your being hurt, and I'm glad you're still living. It would do me good to go back to the old home again, see everybody. Give my love to them all and tell them I hope we will meet in a better world, if not in this. 
I would have gone back to see you when I was working in the Nashville hospital, but one of the neighbors told me that your son intended to shoot me if he ever got a chance. I want to know particularly what the good chance is you propose to give me. I'm doing tolerably well here. I get $25 a month with vittles and clothing, have a comfortable home for Mandy. The folks call her Mrs. Anderson. And the children, Millie, Jane, and Grundy go to school and are learning well. Now, if you will write and say what wages you will give me, I will be better able to decide whether it would be to my advantage to move back again. As to my freedom, which you say I can have, there is nothing to be gained on that score as I got my free papers in 1864. Mandy says she would be afraid to go back without some proof that you were disposed to treat us justly and kindly. And we have concluded to test your sincerity by asking you to send us our wages for the time we served you. This will make us forget and forgive old scores and rely on your justice and friendship in the future. I served you faithfully for 32 years and Mandy 20 years. At $25 a month and $2 a week for Mandy, our earnings would amount to $11,680. Add to this the interest for the time our wages have been held back and deduct what you paid for our clothing and three doctor's visits for me and pulling a tooth for Mandy and the balance will show what we are in justice entitled to. Please send the money by Adams Express to Dayton, Ohio. If you fail to pay us for our faithful labors in the past, we can have little faith in your promises in the future. Retrust the good makers, open your eyes to the wrongs which you and your father have done to me and my fathers and making us toil for you for generations without recompense. Here I draw my wages every Saturday night but in Tennessee, there was never any payday for the Negroes any more than the horses and cows. Surely there will be a day of reckoning for those who defrauded the laborer of his hire. In answering this letter, please state if there's any safety for me, for my Millie and Jane, who are now grown up and both good-looking girls. I'd rather stay here and starve and die, if it come to that, than have my girls brought to shame by the violence and wickedness of their young masters. You will also please state if there is any good schools open for the colored children in your neighborhood. The great desire of my life now is to give my children an education and have them form virtuous habits. Say howdy to George Carter and thank him for taking the pistol from you when you were shooting at me. From your old servant, Jordan Anderson. <laughs> Now, from the time that enslaved Africans were brought here in 1619 until the end of slavery, millions of black people were treated just like Jordan, forced to work from sunup to sundown without pay, denied education, living under threat of being beaten, hung, shot, decapitated, raped, sold off. Slave labor is responsible for much of the wealth that was generated in southern states, but slaves also contributed to building other parts of America. Many of our universities and great buildings of the past, even the White House and the Capitol were built with slave labor. In fact, Wall Street was named after an actual wall built by slaves in 1653. Unfortunately, 
Christian landowners used the Bible as a tool of propaganda to get slaves to accept their captivity and serve their masters without complaint. Slave owners actually hired preachers to come on their plantations to preach sermons that were based on a few scriptures that talked about serving your master faithfully. A former slave named Lucretia Alexander described what she often heard preached on the plantations. This is a quote from her. This is what she said. The preacher came in and he just say, serve your masters. Don't steal your master's turkey. Don't steal your master's chickens. Don't steal your master's hogs. Don't steal your master's meat. Do whatsoever your master tell you to do. Same old thing all the time. End of quote. It is a miracle to me that African Americans were able to find God in those circumstances. <laughs> but they were able, by the grace of God, to extract some truth out of what they heard, and they fell passionately in love with God. Their embrace of scripture was characterized by a strong faith in a God who could liberate, who could heal them and give them peace. And the story in the Bible that they most identified with was the story of the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. They could relate to those Jews who had also been slaves under a cruel master. The slave masters that they had reminded them of Pharaoh. Northern states were seen as the promised land. Jesus was like Moses, their deliverer. So slaves found hope in the scriptures. And they thought if God could free people back then, he could free us. He could do it again. So they began to cry out to this God. And many of them would sneak away into the woods, risking being whipped. But they would sneak away into the woods to praise God how they wanted to praise God. And they would make up songs. And sometimes one of them would even preach. <laughs> I want you to just try to imagine that out in the woods. Imagine what they were dealing with, their despair, their uncertainty, having no say-so over your life, no say-so over your children. Yet they managed to give God the sacrifice of praise. And many of the songs that they made up were songs of protest with subversive lyrics that mocked their Christian overseers. These songs spoke of their anticipated liberation. I hope you will allow me to sing just a few stanzas of, of a couple of the songs. I got shoes, you got shoes, all God's children got shoes to wear. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my shoes, gonna walk all over God's heaven. Heaven, heaven, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Heaven, heaven, gonna walk all over God's heaven. Ooh. Ooh. 
Here's another one. Go down, Moses, way down to Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. And here's one everybody should know. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me home. When a slave heard that song, it was a sign for them to escape. The, the song talks about an angelic band that takes the slaves to freedom. Sweet Chariot was the code name for the Underground Railroad. And that was a secret network of houses where slaves could hide on their way north to freedom. It talks about the chariot swinging low to take the slaves to freedom to the north. That's the, the lyric, carry me home. That's what that stands for. So songs of protest, songs that encourage people to hope for a better tomorrow, continue to remind us of God's faithfulness and help and help us to deal with continuing injustice and oppression. Now, after emancipation, black people struggled with little or no resources. They weren't like the Jews who left Egypt because they, when the Jews left Egypt, the Egyptians loaded them down with wealth. They wanted to get rid of them. But when we received our freedom, we didn't receive any paychecks, no stimulus checks for us, no land, no livestock, no mule, no 50 acres, nothing to start life off with. And if that weren't bad enough, the South almost immediately passed laws that restricted where black people could live, what they could do for a living, their ability to vote, how they could worship. So black people were forced to build their own infrastructure. And by that I mean, they had to build their own schools because they couldn't go to schools with white children. That was true almost 100 years after the Civil War in many parts of the South, by the way. We had to even build our own churches because many churches forced black people to sit in the back or up in the balcony and black people couldn't hold offices in church, so you couldn't aspire to be a minister or a deacon. So we began to split off from mainline denominations and formed our own denominations and had to build our own churches. So that's why today, for instance, we have the African Methodist Episcopal, AME, because they split from the Methodist church. We couldn't go into restaurants. We couldn't be treated at a lot of hospitals. You heard uh, Sister Clarice's testimony, very limited what we could do. Couldn't use the public parks. Couldn't live in certain neighborhoods. 
And one thing they did was they passed a vagrancy law. So if you were caught on the street and you weren't supposed to be there, guess what? You were re-imprisoned and forced to work in the fields just like a slave. So in just about every aspect of life, we faced injustice. And here in 2022, we still have to fight for justice because there are still barriers in just about every aspect of our life. You know, when Marvin Sapp sings something like, never would have made it, never could have made it without you, that's a song <laughs> that we can all relate to. It's a song Jordan could have sung in slavery. Now, in our text this morning from the Gospel of Luke, a widow woman sought justice by repeatedly going to a judge. And there are several things in this text I want you to notice. It says the judge was unjust, that he neither feared God or cared about people. So this heathen didn't care about the people he was supposed to be serving. I also want you to notice the other character in the text, a widow. Widows were some of the most vulnerable people at that time in history. They didn't have a lot of rights or protection. And unless they had a male relative to take them in under their wing, they could easily find themselves on the street begging. The text says this widow had to go to that heathen judge who wasn't compassionate or interested in what she was going through. Apparently someone had done something to the widow or taken something from her or was threatening her. And that made her have to go back to see that judge, to ask for help. Now having to go back again and again to ask for anything is humiliating. I work at Dorcas Ministries and we assist thousands of people every year with food and, and financial assistance. And we've actually had some people have heart attacks in the waiting area, waiting to see a counselor for help. That's how stressed out they are. Needing to ask for help again and again wears you down. It takes away your dignity. It can make you angry and hopeless. It can affect your health. Being treated like you are less than because of anything, the color of your skin or where you live, how much money you make, or even your marital status like this widow is dehumanizing. But she was desperate enough to do what she had to do to get what she needed. Without this man's help, she would have lost some of the little bit that she had. Now, his response to her is interesting. The text says at first he ignored her, thought she was bothering him. But then he changed his mind and gave her justice. And if we examine the text from the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, it actually says he gave her justice because he didn't want her to give him a black eye. Or let me put it another way. He didn't want her to make him look bad, mess up his reputation. So that heathen judge was more concerned about himself than doing his job in protecting that widow. Now, unfortunately, that judge represents what justice is like for a lot of people in America. When vulnerable people try to get justice, 
they are too often met with uncaring people in power. They are met with a system that favors people who can afford a lawyer. They are met with a system that targets vulnerable people. Jesus uses this parable to shine a light on the difference between God and man. Jesus says God will give justice to God's chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Jesus reminds us that God hears our prayers and will deliver us. That's what we have to hold on to in these uncertain times. When we are at a time where people are trying to take away or dismantle the little justice there is for some of us. Our prayers are important in this hour. But I believe God also expects us to get busy. As Christians, we're not supposed to sit on the sidelines and let people be abused and taken advantage of. The prophet Micah reminds us that the Lord requires us to do justice. Dr. King prayed, but Dr. King acted. Amen? We need to speak up. We need to protest. We need to show up at public hearings, write letters, make phone calls, vote, register people to vote, run for office. Judge Julie, thank you very much. We need to volunteer to work the polls. Pleasant Grove is a part of an advocacy group called One Wake, and we're pushing for justice on a lot of fronts, among them affordable housing, voters' rights, and living wage. I'll tell you, we had in Cary, we're pushing for affordable housing, and Cary would much rather not see affordable housing in Cary. It could be in other places, but not Cary. And there were two town council people that were particularly opposed to affordable housing. And one wake invited them on a call, a Zoom call. As a matter of fact, let me back up. One of them even had the nerve in a public meeting that I was in to say, um, gentrification is not a bad word. Yeah, that's how they were. Until they showed up at the Zoom town hall meeting with us. And they looked at about 350 people on that call, and it was amazing how quickly they changed their position. Showing up counts. Things that you do count. Because we have to push back against injustice. We have to do what we have to do to help establish justice. Amen? And I'll tell you, those of us who have nice homes, should be uncomfortable with people who can barely afford to keep a roof over their head. Those of us who make a decent living should be uncomfortable about people who have to work for $7.25 an hour. So I invite you, get in the fight. And if you don't know how to get started, we have a social justice ministry right here at PGC that's doing a whole lot and making a difference, amen? I just want to close by uh, a favorite hymn of Dr. King's. 
he was planning the next uh, protest and he had requested that this song be sung at that protest gathering, but he didn't make it. He was assassinated. They sang this song at his funeral. It's a song that was written in 1932, but it's a song that easily the slaves in the woods could have sang. It's a song that Jordan could have sang. It's a song I heard my mother sing. It's a song I still sing. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I'm lonely through the storm, through the night lead me on through the night take my hand precious Lord and lead me on If you are ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, we invite you to pray this prayer with us. And it says, Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and there is nothing that I can do to save myself. I ask for your forgiveness. And you can do this if you are streaming. At this moment, I believe you alone are the one who bore my sins when you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Today, I turn from my sinful life and invite you into my heart. I will trust you and follow you all of the days of my life thank you for saving me and hearing my prayer in jesus name i pray amen thank you for listening it is our prayer that this message will enlighten and empower you to do the will of god if you have a prayer request or praise report or like additional information on pleasant grove church or other recorded messages Come visit us in person or write to us at Pleasant Grove Church, Post Office Box 3603, Cary, North Carolina, 27519. Or call us at 919-363-5198. Or visit us on the web at www.pgc-cary.org. Thank you again. And